2 Corinthians 7. And we're starting with verse 1. We'll go down to verse 7. Let's read. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation by which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Let's pray for our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the meal we're about to have from the Word of God. It's already blessed, filled with nutrients. We're going to receive it by faith and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you again as the divine teacher that you will anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening, open them by the gift of your grace, cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you, Father, that people walk away hearing from you. Only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening once again right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, go to verse 1. We'll start unpacking this. Therefore, having these promises... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're going to spend a good portion of this message today on verse 1. It's so much here, and then we'll pick up pretty quickly after that, and I believe we'll get through verse 7 today. It says, therefore, having these promises. Look at the word therefore. When you see the word therefore, what should you ask yourself? What is it there for? Has anyone ever just walked up to you out of context and said, therefore, and just started talking to you? You're like, okay, well, what did you just, what was said before? Therefore, having these promises. So he's referring back to what he said in chapter 6. There's some promises in chapter 6 that's going to help us cleanse ourselves from the filth of this world. And so go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verse... Uh, uh, verse uh, 16, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Here's the first promise is that you are a temple of God. Tell someone you're a temple of God. Now, like I said last week, some temples are bigger than other temples. I'm not here to judge. But you are a temple that God dwells in. And so God dwells in you. The God of the universe dwells in you. And so he is going to be the one that's going to free you from the things of this world. And so it says, I will dwell in them and walk in them. So God wants to walk in you. Now go to verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them. And be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch which is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. Actually, the Greek says, I will father you. I will father you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. That God is here to father you, and he asks that you would be his sons. 
Now, you're all born again. If you're born again, you are his son, but uh, you need to be a son. Be a daughter. Let him father you. And so there's a promises there that he's there to receive you and receive his love, and that's going to be the resource that you're going to be able to put off the things of the flesh. So let's drop back down into chapter 7. It says, therefore, having these promises, and we just mentioned those promises that God gave you, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is bringing out that in this world, there's filthiness in this world. And if you go very long, then there's going to be just in the natural, there's dirt in this world. That's why we take showers, most of us, or baths or whatever, because there's dirt. Well, in the, in the spiritual realm, there's dirt. In the world, just kind of watch, if you're on Facebook or you're on watching TV, it's just some filth in there. And so, so we need to cleanse ourselves from some of this. And this is in the area of our soul. Our spirit has already been cleansed. Our spirit's been perfected. It's born again and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We'll look at some verses later about how your spirit's been sealed. But in our soul, there's some, some things that we need to do as Christians is we need to cleanse ourselves some filthiness that we, that in our life. And so, therefore, having these promises, beloved, look at the word beloved. Why do people struggle in sin? A person struggles in sin is when they have a vacuum of the love of God in their heart. You know, if you are filled with the love of God, there'll be no room for anything else. People run into sin to actually actually try to fill up areas that are deficits in their life. And so God has provided uh, his love to fill your heart. You have, a, you have a love tank on the inside. Your spiritual love tank's full. It's topped off all the time. But your soul, is it, is it filled with the love of God? Ask someone, how's your love tank? And so we need to uh, have the love of God fill up in our soul. And so we do that by faith. Therefore, having these promises, beloved. Uh, how, well, pastor, what do I do to be God's beloved? Be loved. Well, how do I do that? Be loved. Uh, let me tell you something. Get in this room. I'm in, the, I'm in the room. Well, you're, you're loved. Just rest. Be loved. You know, you just need to focus on how much he loves you. The more you focus on how much he loves you, well, well, how do I do that? Well, go back and look at Jesus hanging on the cross for you, shedding his blood for you. And you ever doubt his love and, his, and you have feelings? Because a lot of times we're trying to feel his love, but it's not anchored in anything. There's no foundation to the love of God. There's a foundation, a biblical foundation to experiencing God's love. It's the cross. How did God commend his love towards us when, when you were a sinner and Christ died for you? So go back and, and, and focus on Jesus dying for you. And it won't take very long before the love of God will start filling up your soul and you'll experience the love of God. And so a heart that's filled, there's no room for anything else. If you're struggling with something today, I dare say that your love tank, there's some emptiness, there's a vacuum there that, that, uh, that must be filled with something else. Your heart was created to operate with the, God, the love of God. And when it's not there, you don't operate well. And you will seek to fill it, but nothing else will. It promises to, but it won't. And so, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Say, cleanse myself. What does that mean? Well, guess what? Your spirit's already been cleansed. 
100%. But you know you had to cooperate with that? You had to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jesus died for everybody, but you're not automatically saved. You have to accept Jesus. You had to cooperate. And when you did that, one time you got a power wash. Your spirit got power washed, and, and your sins uh, 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 were totally removed. You were born again, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. But this is actually talking about your soul. Your soul, your part, your mind, will, and emotions. And you have to cooperate with that. We'll say, how do you cooperate getting cleansed? Cleanse yourselves from all filthiness. Tell someone, cleanse yourself from filthiness. Filthiness. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, by the, the first, there's three resources we're going to talk today of how you're going to get cleansed from these things. The first one's the promises. The promises of God. Look at 2 Peter 1.4. 2 Peter 1.4. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which we have been given, has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Say precious promises. Do you know Peter uses the word precious more than any other writer in the New Testament? An old, crusty fisherman uses, likes the word precious. Well, isn't that tender? That's a hallmark word. Exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Do you know you have the divine nature on the inside of you through the Holy Spirit? But are you partaking of it? And when you partake of the divine nature, it's the divine nature. Is it God's nature to sin? No. Is it God's nature to get into all the stuff the world's got into? No. So God's nature is clean. And when you start by his promises, partaking of his divine nature, that's when you'll, by default, that cleansing will take part. And it's going to be by, and you won't want to sin. You know, when you got born again, you got root for sin. You used to have a pig heart. Pigs love to sin, love to mud. But when you got saved, you got a heart transplant. And a sheep got put in. Go back. Now we try it. Go back. See, you couldn't do that if you weren't a sheep. You had oink and everything. So. Partake of the, through the promises, you partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, wrong desires. That's not just sexual, it's any wrong desire. And so how you can get free from all the filthiness of this world, his promises. They're great and precious. And the number one we just talked about is that God lives in you and he will father you, he will love you, he will fill that love tank on the inside, but you got to turn to him and spend time with him. Amen. All right. So it said, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves because, again, you got to cooperate in that. And so I want you to make sure that this is not your spirit. Your spirit's already been perfected and purified one time for all time. Look at Hebrews 10.10. You're a three-part being. You have a, you're a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Who you are in your spirit is your identity. Look at Hebrews 10.10. By that will, that's the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ every day. Oh, I'm sorry, clueless translation. <laughs> By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. What part of you has been sanctified forever, once for all? Your spirit, man. And your spirit's been sealed. 
So what part of you needs to be cleansed? Your soul. And you have a part to play in that. Well, we're going to look at how you, how, how you do that. Is, is, uh, raise your hand if you're a night, a night, you take showers at night. Raise your hand if you take showers in the morning. Raise your hand if you take showers at night and the morning. <laughs> how many of you clean the shower before you take a shower? That's <laughs> a neat trick. So what do you need to cleanse yourself? What's the main agent that cleanses? Well, you got soap and shampoo, but water. Water is the cleansing agent that we have in this life. And so what's going to cleanse us isn't willpower. It's not wanting to do different. It's the water of the washing of the Word of God. And we have the water to go. Do you know the water has power? Ongoing constant flow of water has extreme power do you know the grand canyon was forged over thousands of years by a stream by a river it forged a great grand canyon not millions of years thousands of years and so water can cut through rock after a while you keep it going and so water has tremendous power i like the power the the force when i use it right is that uh, I love chocolate cake. I like German chocolate cake. Yes. If anyone here wants to perfect their baking skills, <laughs> and you need somebody to give you an honest feedback, I'm here. I'm for the people. I'm a servant. I will volunteer to try your chocolate sheet cake. But I like with my cake, Cold chocolate or cold milk. Not so much chocolate. I like cold milk with my dessert. Now, when I drink my milk, I get lazy and I leave my cup out. And sometimes, if Joanne doesn't catch it, it's overnight. And then she'll get on to me and says, Rick, you left your cup. Now it's all that, that residue films all in there. It's hard to get off. Go clean it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I take it over and then I watch her leave the room and I turn on the hot water and I just set it and leave it and go off for a couple hours. And if she doesn't catch me, I come back in a couple hours, and guess what? It's all clean. The power of running water over a length of time can cleanse anything. Do you know if you'll keep the Word of God flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing into your soul, it, it will cleanse you. But you've got to cooperate with that. You can't have the, the water come in a little bit and then have the sewage of the world be flowing in for hours. And then you're like, let me have a little bit of the word. And then I have the sewage of the world. See, too often we have two different streams coming in. So if we keep the purity of that water coming in. Raise your hand if you've gone to Karis Bible College. Okay. And uh, so, you, so, you, you, so uh, who, who can testify that your life's different today than when you first started? How did your life change by willpower? Oh, you just try to get better and do better. No, no, no. You just sat under... The flowing of the word, day in, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, Saturday and Sunday, church. And then, the, but then January, February, March, April, May. And you just kept with it year after second year, first year, second year, third year. And, and over what your life has changed and been transformed by the power of the word. And so you need, to, you need to have that cleansing take place in your soul. And it's up to you to cooperate with that. Again, our spirit once and for all has been cleansed, but we're talking about our soul. The filthiness of flesh, 
and spirit. What's that? The, the filthiness of the flesh are sins committed with the body. Sexual immorality, addictions of all types that has to deal with the physical body. That's the sins of the flesh. But there's the defilement also of spirit. Well, Pastor, you just said that I thought I was clean and perfected in my spirit and sealed and everything in my spirit. Yeah, you are. This is not talking about your born-again spirit. So your born-again spirit uh, has been born again. You've been sealed in the spirit. 1 John 3, 9 says that if the seed of God abides in you, you cannot sin. In your spirit, you have the sperma of God, the DNA of Jesus in your born-again spirit, and it got sealed and so, so vacuum so, so no contamination can get in your spirit. Let me say something. You've never sinned in your spirit if you're born again. You've always yielded to sin with your soul and your body, but your spirit has never sinned. Matter of fact, your, your spirit is pure the day that was born again as everybody in heaven. But what has to, be, has to be cleansed is your soul. Matter of fact, write this down. Here's some scriptures that talk about your spirit's been sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1.22, write this down, 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13, and Ephesians 4.30. Three times does it say, spirit, soul, and body, I mean, uh, the Trinity, uh, by redemption, has redeemed your spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30. So what is the, the filthiness of, the, of spirit? This is not physical sins. This is spiritual sins. These are sins done in the spirit. Uh, this is, these are sins of hatred, variance, pride. Do you ever know anybody that's ever had pride? Okay, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you like this. Hatred, variance, pride, bitterness unforgiveness, holding and promoting false doctrine, and idolatry. These are all things you don't do with your body. These are things, these are what's called spiritual sins, but it's filthiness of spirit. And so that the promises of God will cleanse you from both flesh and spiritual sins. It says perfecting holiness. Say perfecting holiness. Look at the word perfecting. It means to bring to an end, to accomplish, to execute, to bring out to the final conclusion. See, God started the holiness in your life when you got born again. Your spirit, the one part of you, your spirit got totally perfected. Matter of fact, look at uh, Hebrews 10, 14. I told you we're going to spend a good time in this verse and then we'll roll pretty quick after that. Hebrews 10, look at verse 14. I think it's very important that we understand how or what part of us needs to be cleansed and how do we do it. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, this verse seems like an oxymoron or a moronic ox. It says, by one offering has, protect, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, if you've been perfected forever, why do you need to be sanctified because your spirit's been perfected forever but your soul is being sanctified and how do you do that through the washing of the water of the word of god through promises look at first peter 122 
This is called the process of sanctification of your soul. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 22. It says, since you have purified your souls, your what? Say spirit. Does it say spirit? No, it says soul. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Purify your soul. How? By obeying the truth. Look at that word obeying. The New Testament concept of obeying is synonymous with believing. Well, pastor, how do you prove that? Well, Jesus said that, uh, Paul said that when Jesus comes back, he will bring retribution on those who did not obey the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? You believe the gospel. Matter of fact, Hebrew says that, that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. Does that mean you have to perfectly obey all the, all the law to be able to get the Holy Spirit? No. You believe. And so plug that in. Since you have purified your souls in believing the truth through the Spirit. What's truth? Jesus defined truth in John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. Plug this in. Since you have purified your souls in believing the word of God through the Spirit. Do you know what? Just reading the Bible isn't going to do this. It's revelation. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. You know there's people that are not born again that can quote the entire Bible. Hasn't changed their life one bit. What changes your life is the revelation of the word. That's the Holy Spirit. That's why when you sit down to read, invite the Holy Spirit. Put the chair up say, Holy Spirit, I invite you along to teach me. He's the divine helper, the Greek paraclete, not parakeet. (laughs) Paraclete, one called alongside to help. And so you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. When you come to church, help pastor talk and help me understand what that guy's saying. And that's why I pray every time your eyes would be open. Then somehow, by a miracle of God, you'll get something that he's saying to you and walk out with it. Yeah. See, the word needs to go from your head to your heart. That's by the Holy Spirit. But then it needs to matriculate down to your feet. From your head to your heart to your feet. That's called holiness. So it says perfecting holiness. Say holiness. holiness. What's holiness? Holiness is a byproduct of touching the presence of God. Yeah. Let me say that again. Holiness is the byproduct of touching the presence of God. You have a book called The Place of His Presence. And wherever God is, there's holiness. You know when they made that tabernacle, it was just a bunch of, of wood and gold and stuff like that. But it was when God came and dwelt in that tabernacle, it became most holy. Amen. Matter of fact, when, when, uh, when Moses went to the burning bush, he says, he says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Why was it holy ground? It was just a ground like any other ground. No, God was there. His presence was there. You know he's in your spirit, so your spirit's most holy. But you know what? How's your soul going to experience? Is Let it experience the presence of God. Amen. How are you going to experience the presence of God? Worship. Praise, meditating the word, let it come in, access it by the promises, by truth. The presence of God will change your life. But so, so we had the promises of God, then beloved. 
So this is the first two. You're going you're gonna to cleanse yourself from these things by the promise of the water of the word. Then the love of God. When it fills you, you will have no desire for anything else. But the third thing that's going to help us cleanse ourselves is something we need to learn more about in this church. I need, as the pastor of this church, I need to grow in this. We need to grow. As the church in America and around the world, we need this more than we have. It says, perfecting the, God's holiness in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Well, pastor, I, I came out of that old fear of where I was afraid of God. And you're telling me to be afraid of God? No, I didn't tell you to be afraid of God. I told you that we need the fear of God. The fear of God is his reverence and holy awe of who he is. When we understand who he is and his presence is inside of us, it will change what we do, what we look at, what we hear, and how we spend our money. The fear, reverence, and holy awe of God. Because in the grace movement, we become a little too familiar. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm a little bugged by someone that only has a revelation of God as Abba, only. Now we need, that's a definite revelation. We need to have, we need to know he, he's Abba. He's Daddy, he's Papa, he's God. But guess what? He's Almighty God. Jesus called his father Abba Father. Father was the more formal term. Abba was the more informal term. He said, he, he never called him Abba, but he called him Abba Father. So we need to know him in the familiarity of Daddy, but we also need to have that revelation of Almighty God. John had that, that divine tension is that he laid his, his head on the chest of Jesus the night of the Last Supper and had intimacy, but then later saw him in his full resurrected glory and he fell dead at his feet. We need this. Let me pray. Father, I just ask that you give us a greater revelation of the fear of God, the reverence and holy awe of God. I thank you for, for this. By faith, we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 2. Well, I was waiting for you to get off of that. Verse 2, open your hearts to us. Why would he say that? They closed him. They closed their hearts. Why? Because Paul had corrected them in 1 Corinthians. And they're like little children pouting. They got, they got corrected, didn't like it. They shut their heart off. And they opened themselves up to lies. When you get offended or hurt and close your heart, now you're open for an environment for lies to be spoken by the enemy. And false teachers entered in after Paul left and started lying about Paul. Said, you know what? This guy, Paul's not who you thought he was. He was there stealing from you. He was just there for his own motives. That's, he's not really who you think he is. And they started believing lies about Paul. Matter of fact, here's three of them. We've wronged no one. This word means, the wrong means to treat unjustly. Paul was being accused of being unjust. And so Paul had done everything he possibly could have done to take away any excuse for them to blame him in his ministry, but he still was blamed. Welcome to the ministry. Raise your hand if you want to go in the ministry. You're like, chicken wing. Or T-Rex. Paul kept his heart open. As a minister, the worst thing you do is shut your heart off from the people. Paul could have said, you know what, I got other churches. 
I'm an apostle, dude. I mean, I mean, I got other churches going on. I could just see ya. No, he continued with them. Actually, went three times to them, even though they were the trouble church. How far will we go with people before we just shut them off? We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. There was, they were lying that Paul was there corrupting people. We have cheated no one. They were saying, well, Paul cheated you of, of your money. And Paul goes, do you, do you remember I never took an offering from you one time? He says, yeah, but you did take an offering. Yeah, that was for the saints in Jerusalem, not for my ministry. Sure, Paul. And people were saying, no, he just basically, you know, you know how people say, well, we have orphanages and stuff like that. So we're going to receive money and then they don't have any orphanages. There's some that do that. But, so Paul was receiving offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And, and so afterwards they said, you know what? He was just going to take your money. He wasn't wanting saints for Jerusalem. And lied against Paul. He says, I've cheated no one. Look at verse 3. I don't say this to condemn you. Paul was confronting the Corinthians with truth, not condemning them. However, usually those who are confronted with the truth will claim they're being condemned. Let me say that again. Paul was not condemning them. He was confronting them with truth. And a lot of people, when they're confronted with truth, will say, you're condemning me. And then the only verse that they know out of the Bible, judge not, lest you be judged. They even have a tattoo. Judge not, lest you be judged. As a buffer for their life. I'm not condemning it when I'm saying this. You may be taking this as condemnation, but it's not being given that way. For I have said before that you are in our hearts. Paul kept his heart open. You're still in my heart. I don't care what you do. You can't be mean enough for me to shut you out of my life. You, God, you are in God's heart, and there's nothing you can do to get, get you out of it. He says, we're in this to die together or to live together. Basically, he said, sink or swim, baby, we're in this together. I'm committed to you. I don't care how ugly you are, I'm with you. Verse 4, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulation. Paul said, I had great boldness of speech toward you. Why was that? Because he wasn't speaking his own word. He's speaking God's word. And if it's God's word, then he can speak boldly that word. Today, I'm speaking boldly to you because it's not my word. I'm speaking God's word to you. And I'm speaking with great boldness as his mouthpiece. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. Actually, that word is great is my pride towards you. I'm proud of you. I heard a minister say one time that it's wrong to say you're proud of your children. That pride is wrong. <laughs> Do you know anything taken to extreme is wrong? Talk jealous, talk about jealousy. You know, jealous, being jealous and everything, that can be wrong. But you know what? There's a godly jealousy. You know, God is a jealous God. As a spouse that you're married, it's okay to have a godly jealousy over your spouse. And some guy tries to, to come on and say, hey, dude, back off. 
That's good. You know, when you have two ladies that are just face-to-face, they're, they're having communion. You get two guys eyeball-to-eyeball about to throw down. He said, I am proud, on, I'm proud about you. Guess what he had to do to do that? He had to change his focus from the negative and start thanking them for what God has done. Being pride, having pride in someone is not for what you've done, but what God's done in them. You can be proud about who God made them to be and what God has done for them. And Paul said, you know what? I started focusing on what God has done in you and what God is doing in you. And I had to change my focus from some of your crazy that's going on. And I'm focusing on who, what God's done in you and what God has, is doing in you. And I'm proud of that. He had to change his focus. Some of you in this room need to change your focus on your marriage. Because you know when you get married, before you get married, you get crispy creamed. You're glazed over and like love drunk. And everything about them is wonderful. Oh, it's, we're, it's so spiritual. Oh, we're so one. And then you get married. And your eyes open up. And you start seeing things about them. And then, and then you can start focusing on the negative. And then before long, you're more critical and negative than you are positive. I don't know why you ladies are laughing. But you know what you need to do in marriage? Is you need to keep focusing on what good is there in them. What is it that I fell in love with? And that's still there and what God is doing in their life. Well, no, there's nothing good about it, Pastor. Andrew talks about that. There was a pastor who had a wife and, and, and uh, she goes, well, she didn't play the piano and she didn't sing and she didn't help me in ministry. And, you know, I really need one that will help me out. And she just won't, she's not spiritual and she's not with me in the ministry. And he got, you know, kind of frustrated. He's like, well, maybe I should trade her in for a new model. Trade my 40 in for 220s. And he says, well, Lord, I know this is wrong. I can't be right. But it's like, I'm struggling here. Uh, And the Lord says, it's because you're focusing on the wrong things. I want you to start focusing on the good things about her. And each day I want you to find one thing about her that's good. And I want you to focus on that and thank God for it. And so he got into prayer. It's like, okay, here I am. And, 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 And it was like, nothing's coming. I'm sorry. I can't think of a thing about this woman. And, and so God says, well, let me help you. She's never cheated on you. Wow, that's good. Because if you would have cheated on me, that would have been a huge effect to the ministry. And it's like, yeah, she's been faithful to you. And so he started thanking the Lord all day long about him, her being faithful. And the next day he's like, I still got nothing, God. And God says, well, how about the kids she raised while you were busy in ministry and raised them up and how godly they are? And, oh, yeah, they're godly. Oh, thank you, Lord. And then every week, every day, God would show something. By that tent, he was on his face, slobbering, and oh, what a godly woman! You get me? I'm so sorry. It's focus, focus, because the flesh focuses on the negative and blows it up. Paul said, "Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort." How could Paul be filled with comfort based in the problems he was facing? Focus. No matter what our circumstances are or what people's opinion of us is, we can be filled with comfort when we focus on Jesus and cultivate a gratitude attitude. This is more important than what what you're understanding. I'm exceedingly joyful 
in all our tribulation. It's not natural for, for us to have joy in the midst of troubles. It's supernatural. How are you going to be able to do that? Focus. It comes by focus on Christ, the Word, and maintaining a gratitude attitude in the midst of your trouble. Look at verse 5. For indeed, we came to Macedonia. Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Well, Paul, you just, I just, well, Pastor, you just said that he had joy in all his tribulations and his focus was changed and he focused on the Lord. But he, it took a while for him to get there. Labor to enter into rest. Paul had a trouble getting there, but he finally got there. We'll talk about it at the very end here. Got, he got there. He changed his focus and his answer never did come, but, but he changed. Verse 5, for indeed we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. That means that he didn't get any sleep. His trouble was so troubling, he couldn't sleep. Some people in this room, you haven't been sleeping well because you're waking up worrying about your finances, about your relationships, about your kids and grandkids, and about work situation, about your marriage, and you're not sleeping well. God wants you free from that. He said, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. You ever had a conflict? Outside were con- that was thing. Outside of me are con- there's problems outside. But you know what's worse than having conflicts around you is having conflict on the inside of you. He said, inside were fears. You know, fear living in fear will torment you. What's worse than the problem on the outside is the fear about it on the inside. There's a storm raging on the outside, but what's worse is there's a storm raging on the inside. And before he, before he calms the storm on the outside, he wants to calm his child first. Amen. That's so good. He said inside were fears. You mean Paul admitted he had fears? In fear, sin? No. You know, temptation's not a sin. It's what you do with the temptation. You know, feeling fear is not evil and it's not sin. So what do you do with the fear? You know what fear is? It's a natural feeling of what I'm facing is more than what I can handle. That's just natural fear. What's on the outside is greater than what I can just myself deal with. So what do you do with your fear? Turn them to the Lord and realize the Lord is able to overcome what you're facing. How are you going to overcome your fears? Turn them, turn to the Lord. Look in Psalms. We're almost done. There's hope. I see the, I see the, the, the landing strip. Psalms 34, look at verse 4 and 5. I sought the Lord. What are you going to do when you're in trouble? It's very important what you do. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my situations. Oh, I'm sorry. Clueless translation. And delivered me from all my fears. He got delivered on the inside before he ever got delivered on the outside. How, are you, how did he get free? Look at the next verse. They looked to him. There's three steps to getting free from fear. 
They looked to him. They kept looking to him. They kept on looking to him. And were radiant. Thank you. And their faces were not ashamed. This is a big thing, God. God wants to deliver you before you're delivered. He wants to do something on the inside. Yeah, he's, he's going to do something about the outside. What about the inside? Verse 6. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Comfort. He comforts the downcast. Have you ever been depressed? I know Andrew hasn't, but I have. He comforts the downcast. But you've got to cooperate. How do you do that? Look up. When we're at the lowest is when we need to look up the most. When you're at rock bottom, the only direction to look and go is up. And it says, God comforted us by the coming of Titus. Where was Titus? God sent him on a mission. Uh, Paul sent him on a mission. He sent him to Corinth after he wrote, the, wrote that letter and he heard back that they were all mad and upset at him. Well, he sent Titus to go figure it out what's going on. Titus went there and he was supposed to meet Paul in Troas. And he's sitting in Troas and the time for Titus to come back is well over the time. And he starts worrying, did they kill him? I don't know what happened to Titus. And he got worried and he, there was an open door for revival and he shut that down because he was worried about Titus. And he went into Macedonia to try to find Titus and there Titus meets him. And with good news, some of them repented. Some of them mourn. Some of them like you, Paul. There's a few that don't. Welcome to life. And Paul said... God comforted us by the coming of Titus, verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation which Titus was comforted by you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, that's a repentance, their zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. That meant before Titus showed up, He had worked through it and got his focus off and got into rejoicing before his answer came. He said, when Titus came, we rejoiced even more. But you know what? I'm going to choose in my problem before my answer comes, what is going to happen on the inside of me? The power of focus. God wants to deliver you from the fears on the inside. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm in, I'm in stuff outside that I'm dealing with and I have fears on the inside. I have a storm raging on the inside. I'm, not, I'm having trouble sleeping. I don't know where my answer is going to come from. And today the Lord says, I'm going to deliver you from your fears. I want to calm the storm on the inside of you. I want you to be able to rejoice in the midst of your situation before your answer ever comes because it's more important what goes inside you than what's going on on the outside of you. Yeah, I'm going to come through. I'll calm the storm. I'm faithful. I'll provide. But what's happening on the inside of you right now? Will you look at me? Will you focus on me? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm going to refocus today. 
I'm refocusing today. I have my eyes on you. Father, I thank you. Their eyes are on you. They're refocusing. And Father, I speak peace to that heart right now. Fear, go in Jesus' name. Fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in his love. Fear doesn't have a chance when I'm standing in his love. I'm going to receive the love of God today. I'm going to let him father me. I'm, going to, I'm just going to go and I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to look to him. And he's going to deliver you out of all your fears in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship God together. Hallelujah. So a few years ago, I was listening to that song and the Lord just revealed this to me. He's like, it's my breath in your lungs. So he showed me, you know, the two vital things that we need is for our hearts to beat, for them to pump blood, and for our lungs to breathe. But both of those things we don't control. <laughs> he does. He makes our heart to beat. He makes our lungs to breathe. And so he was just showing me what makes you think you can make my will come to pass in your life. I can't do it. We can't do it, church. We need him. We need to be surrendered to him, to hear what we need to do to see his will fulfilled in our lives. That's what he's asking, to put our will to the side and to take up his, but we can't do it on our own. So look to him. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep on looking at Jesus.